Welcome to Woodland Church. Here is today's message. We are going to be talking about the resurrection today. Today truly is the greatest day of the entire year. I cannot express that enough as your pastor. Everything was dependent upon today. You know, Christmas, we celebrate the birth of Jesus. On Friday, we looked at his death. But it was all dependent on his resurrection. And today, I want us to be looking at what does this resurrection mean? Now, we could spend weeks after weeks, and the best thing about being a pastor is that every Easter there can be a fresh message because there's so much in the New Testament that that talks about what does this resurrection mean? What is, what is this really, why did this have to happen? What is the purpose of this? Why did Jesus not only have to die, but why does he have to come back? So today I want us to be looking at John chapter 20, and I want us to read this account this morning, and we are going to look at what does this mean for us today. So if you have your Bibles, please turn with me to John chapter 20, and we're gonna, I'm going to ask for you to stand as we read the Word of God this morning, and we're going to read, read this account of John 21 through 18. It says, Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark, and saw that the tomb had been saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and she said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going towards the tomb. Verse 4, Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping in, stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him, went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there. And the face, face cloth, which has been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in and he saw and believed as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead then the disciples went back to their home verse 11 but mary stood weeping outside the tomb and as she wept she she stooped to look into the tomb and she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of jesus had lain one At the head and one at the feet, they said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary, she turned. And she said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. 
Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he has said these things to her. Let us pray. Father, Father, as we celebrate, as we remember what you have done for us, Father, this day prepare our hearts and minds for your word. Father, remind us of how great your resurrection is upon our lives. Father, we give you praise this morning. We ask this now in Jesus' name. Amen. You guys may be seated. So as I read Scripture, I personally always try to put myself into the scene. I think it is important for us to try to comprehend what is happening when we read these accounts. How are these people and what are they going through at this time? And as I think about on Resurrection Sunday morning, I think about John and I think about Peter here. They had quite a week leading up to this morning. If you think back and look back as you read what had taken place up until this point, they had the Last Supper with Jesus where Jesus washed their feet. In the garden, they were praying with Jesus and they witnessed Judas, one of the twelve, betray Jesus with a kiss. And then they saw Jesus taken away. And Peter had stood at a distance and the disciples were all scattered and they had seen Jesus get beat and whipped and flogged. And if you don't know what a flogging is, it's the absolute horrific thing. It's a piece of leather with glass and it literally tears flesh. And they witnessed Jesus marching through the streets. They saw Jesus carry his own cross and stumble and the blood pouring down from him. And then they saw Jesus nailed to that cross. And they saw the ridicule. And they saw the words. And they saw the people rejoicing that they were getting rid of him. And then he died. They saw him die. It was over. The Romans won. The, the religious people at the time one in their minds. But then the resurrection happens. And Mary comes to them and says, hey, he's not in the tomb. And they run to the tomb. It says on the first day of the week, this is John 4, now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and she saw that the tomb had been taken away. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple whom Jesus loved and said to them, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we do not know where they laid him. So Peter went out with the disciples and they were going towards the tomb. Both of them were running together. But the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. Jesus is gone. Where is he? 
What happened? They were wondering what had taken place here. Did the Romans take them? This could have been a serious thought in their minds. What happened to the body of Jesus? He's missing. Did, did the religious leaders take him? Who got rid of Jesus? But as they came to the grave, they saw that the stone was rolled away. And as they were catching their breaths, we see this in verse 6, and Simon Peter came following him, went into the tomb, and then they see it. They saw the linen's cross, linen cloth lying there, and the face cloth which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloth, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple who had reached the tomb first went in and saw and believed. In verse 9, and as yet, yet they did not understand the scripture, what that he must rise from the dead. It says that they saw and they believed. But it also says they didn't quite comprehend it yet. Meaning when they get there, they see the linen lying there. And they believe that Jesus is clearly gone, but it hadn't quite clicked yet. It's just so fascinating how this plays out. They had seen his death. They had seen it all. Then now all of a sudden, they run to the tomb and the stone is is rolled away. And they, they look in and they see the cloth lying there. They know that he's gone. They've seen it with their own eyes. They must have been, they could have been thinking about how Jesus said in Mark 8, 31 through 32, and he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. And look at verse 32. And he said this plainly. And Peter who was there, who ran to the tomb on that morning. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Not that much earlier, Peter had talked to Jesus, pulled him aside and said, Jesus, this is not going to happen. I can see Peter having these words running through his mind on this resurrection morning as he sees Jesus missing. But I love... I love how Mary, Mary doesn't leave. This is such a powerful story. You see her, she's there with them, and they, they look in, they see he's missing, and it says they went back home. And what does Mary do? You can see just this absolute broken woman who Jesus had healed her, had delivered her, from demonic powers upon her life. She had been following Jesus. She was a servant to Jesus and the disciples. And it says she stood outside, weeping, wondering. He's gone. He's missing. And you just see just this powerful image. It says Mary stood out weeping in verse 20, 11, outside the tomb weeping. And as she wept, she stooped in to look into the, into the tomb. She decided to look in and she sees two angels and they ask her, why are you weeping? Because she thinks somebody took Jesus away and she responds, they have taken away my Lord and I do not know where they have laid them. 
And just then it says Mary turned around. And she turned around and she sees Jesus, but she thinks it's a gardener. And she's, she, in verse 14 it says, Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. In verse 15, Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking, supposing to be the gardener? She said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him. You can kind of see her weeping becomes to anger. Just tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. And Jesus said to her, Mary. You can just see these words. Jesus speaks her name, Mary. She turned and says, Teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me. For I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. And Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord and that he has said these things to her. The moment she realizes it, you can see this picture here. Jesus is standing there. He is risen. She does not recognize him. He says her name. And what does she do? She clings to him. She was so afraid that he was going to vanish, that he was going to be gone again. So she clings to him. And Jesus doesn't rebuke her here. Jesus, Jesus isn't, isn't saying, you know, don't, don't bother touching me. Jesus is letting her know, I'm not ascending yet. But Jesus says these words to her that I find fascinating. And these words I want us to be dwelling on this morning in verse 2017, he said this. He said, I'm ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and to your God. It's a little bit confusing here when you first read these. Like, what is Jesus talking about? Is he talking about two different gods and two different fathers? She called him teacher, but in this moment, Jesus is reminding her that the relationship is different right now. She had seen the resurrected Jesus. And Jesus' words to her is that I'm going to my God is your God and my Father is your Father. The resurrection, church, is the most exciting thing. But I want us to realize today that the resurrection changed everything. And what I mean by that is that it changed the relationship between God and man. And we see that with Jesus' words here. It says, my God is your God. My Father is your Father. We could spend a lifetime studying the resurrection, but I want to re remind us at how big of a game changer the resurrection is upon humanity. In the opening of John's gospel, it says this, John 1, 9 through 13, the true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own and his own people did not receive him. Verse 12, but all who did receive him, who believed in his name, 
Look at this. He gave the right to become children of God. Who were born not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. Who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. I've said this many times from the pulpit here. But we live in such a time and we live in such a culture that many people have believed this major lie within their lives. And the lie is this. We're all children of God. You've probably said that line. You've probably thought that line. It is a lie. We're not all children of God. You might be sitting there thinking, well, pastor, that doesn't even like seem right here. I, I've, I've said that line. I've heard that line. But that's not what Scripture teaches just because you are living and breathing does not make you a child of God. Now, you are created in the image of God. You bear his image. But that does not make us children of him. And I bring this up. Boy, and I'm going to ask you to, to, to simply jump ahead to Ephesians 2.3. I want to just remind us of this. Ephesians 2.3 says this among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. Look at these words. But by nature we're what? It doesn't say children of God. Children of wrath. Like the rest of mankind. I bring this up because I just want to just give us this preference because what we're going to see in Romans 8 on how the resurrection changes the relationship, changes the relationship between man and God. And we have to understand where the starting point is. And I realize this might be like a difficult teaching and like a difficult thought. And you, you might be sitting there thinking, Pastor, it's Easter. I thought that you were bringing us good words and you're up there telling us how we're children of wrath. We need to understand because when you see the resurrection and what the resurrection does and how in Romans 8, which is what we're going to be turning to next, the resurrection changes everything. Turn with me to Romans 8 real quick. And we're going to look at Romans 8, starting in verse 11. It says this, If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through the Spirit who dwells in you. It's interesting how Paul here picks up on the resurrection of Jesus and then picks up and he's making this beautiful comparison there. And, and as you read it, you might be sitting there thinking, well, who gives life to our mortal bodies? Does that mean we don't die? Well, church, we're going to have a physical death, but the resurrection, the spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, who now dwells within the hearts and lives of believers, meaning he brings us life. He brings us a, a completely different new life. That's what the resurrection does. And Paul even goes on and to explains this. If you, if you turn with me to Romans 6, 4, which is one of my favorite, favorite all-time verses on how 
Jesus brings us life. We were buried, therefore, Romans 6, 4, we were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into what? Into death. We died with him. And it says, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of God, we too might walk in newness of life. The resurrection wasn't just so that Jesus could come back. The resurrection is so that men and women can have life. But we have to understand our starting point. See, people believe that they are alive in God and and that they're somehow, just because you are breathing, that you are somehow instantly connected to the Creator. And the death and resurrection is like, it's pointing to He died and He rose. He brings newness of life to this earth. Meaning He takes dead people and He brings them alive. The resurrection simply equals men and women can now have a new life. Look at how Romans continues on. Romans 8, I want to read 12 through 17. He says, So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if we live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Verse 14. For all who are led by the Spirit are sons of God. You did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you received the spirit of adoptions as sons. Are you seeing the connection here? The spirit that raised Jesus from the dead now dwells in you. You become adopted as sons and children of God, whom we cry out, Abba, Father, verse 16. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, this is where it gets good, than heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may be glorified in him. For all who are led by the Spirit are what? Sons of God. And I love how verse 15 puts it. He says, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you received the spirit of adoptions as sons. The resurrection of Jesus literally means that the world and mankind, that every living, breathing human being now has an opportunity to be connected to the Father and have a newness of life that's found in Christ. His his death paid for the sins of the world, but his resurrection, his resurrection has brought life to this world. And we sometimes forget, and it's like we almost just kind of like forget that like men and women who are not connected to Jesus Christ, the Bible says they're dead in their sins. They're not alive. They might be physically breathing, they might be going to work, they might be having kids, but scripturally and spiritually, they're dead. They're not connected to the Father. But the resurrection of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus means that we can now have new life in him. The old has gone, the new has come. And that's the power of the resurrection in our lives. And I love how Jesus says to Mary, my father is what? It's your father. My God is your God. 
In Romans 6 or 8, 16 and 17, he says, The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer in order that we may also be glorified with him. Most of you guys know this, but I am adopted. If that's news to you, just shared it with you. So I was adopted at age 18, and it was a very unique situation there. My father, Steve Woodward, raised me since I was just a little man there, and he raised me my entire life here. And I'm sharing this with you because as I think about these scripture verses, as I think about how Paul describes this, how the Spirit who raised Jesus from the dead now dwells within us and we become children of God, we become adopted, scripture says. There's something powerful about being adopted here. What I mean by that is that I can recall the day when I was adopted because I was 18. And there is something amazing that takes place when the judge sits up there and strikes his hammer. He says, you are a son of Steve. And it totally parallels what the resurrection does. Jesus comes to adopt children. Scripture says we were once all far off in the book of Acts. We were once all far off, but he has brought us near by what? By what Jesus has done. And it's so powerful because it's not just a name change, it's a position change. And what I mean by that, when I became Jeff Woodward, it wasn't just a name change, it was a position change in the sense of Steve Woodward was legally my dad. I often joke around with them, you can't get rid of me. I'm yours. It says it right there on the paper. You are legally bound to me, Steve. I hate to break it to you, Dad. You can't get rid of me. The judge put down the hammer and declared it. And that's what Jesus does. That's the most amazing thing about the resurrection is that it's not just a story. It's not like, yeah, he died and he rose. It is literally Jesus comes and adopts mankind back to him. And he declares it, you're mine. Not just mine, but you're, you're, you are heirs with me. Like, it's this beautiful story that we literally become gods. Not like become gods, but we become his. I have to make that one clear. We're not, we're not traveling to, to, to some planet here and becoming gods, okay? I just want to... But we become his. We become his people. And it's not based on us. It's not based on what we can do. It's not based on how good we are. It's a relationship, position, change that takes place by what Jesus has done. He paid for the sins of the world on that cross. He came and he died. He paid the price of death, of the shedding of his blood for mankind. But he rose. He conquered death. When he conquered death, he looked at Mary and said, my God is your God, my Father is your Father. It's a position change that takes place. And it happens when men and women come and put their faith in Jesus. I say this all the time, it's not based on works. 
You can't make yourself good enough for God to somehow love you. He loves you. He created you. But now he wants you. There's only one way for that to take place. It's through faith in his son. Faith in what his son has done for you. Love how Romans, how Paul summarizes this in Romans 8. This is Romans 10, 8. He says, what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Verse 9, because, look at this, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God does what? Raised him from the dead. You will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. Easter morning, this morning, Resurrection Sunday, it's all about what Jesus has done for this world. It's all about his death, but it's all about his resurrection on how he comes to adopt the world back to him. See, outside of Christ, there's a relationship problem. Men and women are not tied to God just because they are born. They need a Savior. They need someone to come and to die for their sins, to pay the price for their sins, for the wages of sin is death, and that death Jesus took care of. But then Jesus rose again. And he rose again to bring us new life. And he adopts us as men and women, and we are now his. And church family, I want us to celebrate that this morning. I want us to have the joy of our salvation in our hearts and in our minds and proclaim how great and how wonderful God is because he has done everything. He's done everything for us. There is nothing you can do to make yourself right with God. It's all in what Jesus has done for us. And we proclaim it and we celebrate it. And I want to just challenge you. I don't know if, if, if all of you have given your lives to Christ, but I'm telling you this. Jesus came for you and for me. And Jesus came to adopt us, to declare to us that we can become his. And he gives us new life in him. And Scripture teaches very, very clearly, it's all by faith. Not by works, so no man can boast. It's by faith in his son Jesus. And it's believing that he has died and that he has risen for you. On Good Friday, we, we, we read it about how the, the two thieves sat. They were on the cross next to Jesus. And one of them says, Teacher, remember me. And Jesus says, Today you will be with me in paradise. It was faith. It was faith in Jesus. Faith that he is the Son of Man. Faith in the fact that he died for my sins. And faith that he rose from the grave to bring us new life. I just want to just challenge you with that this morning. 
to challenge your hearts and your minds to believe in what Jesus has done for you. And if you believe, then we celebrate the fact on this Easter morning. I'm going to ask you to stand, and the worship team is going to come back up, and I ask them to sing a couple more songs this morning here as we celebrate and as we remember what Christ has done for us. As they come, let me pray. Father, we give you the praise and the glory. Lord Jesus, you came for sinners like me. You came and you have adopted your creation. You came to save us, Lord. Father, this morning we, we, we proclaim your resurrection. We proclaim how you have brought us new life. Father, I give you all the praise and all the glory. And Lord, as we sing these last couple songs this morning, Lord, remind us of what you've done for us. We give you praise now in Jesus' name.